Rebecca, I I <laughs> surround myself with the most powerful. I know, I'm kidding. Will surrounds himself with the most powerful women. <laughs>Hey everybody, welcome to the Iris Global <gasps> Green Room Podcast. Oh my God, we are here with Rebecca Bender. Oh my gosh. It's well, happening, it's happening again. Again. It's happening is... again, but these guys don't know. Take two. I got a lot of hate. I got a lot of hate. All you guys, you gave me a lot of hate. You did, do you know why? No women on your podcast. No women on my podcast. They don't know though. The first podcast was with you. And so technical, take that, all you people. Technical issues. Don't judge Judgy Judgertons. A lot of you guys gave me feedback. You said, hey, Will, you don't have women on your podcast. And I say, mildly accurate, but inaccurate, because you were the first. You were the first one. I was the first one. And it failed. I failed. I asked horrible questions. Technical difficulties. I called you. I had people yell at me. Who? My, some of my staff. Because I told them, I, I don't know if you remember what I said. I said something very horrible. No, I think I normally remember horrible remember? interviews. And this I was like, hey, so ah, I don't want, should I, rem should I remind you? Because it, it was a moment of. If it was a bad question, I would have told you like, yes, no, you can't you ask me that. You did. Oh, I did? Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> hey, why did you do this? And you're like, uh, I didn't do that. Uh, what the heck are you talking about? And I felt like this big. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No, it was good. It was good. And so I told staff and they all yelled at me and they were like, how could you do that? Here's the this thing. This is why no women come on your podcast. You're a creepy weirdo. <laughs> he doesn't true. know how to talk to the ladies. And I say mildly accurate. I mean, I think that guys have a whole different perspective on this issue of sex for sale <laughs> than women. And so I get the craziest Comments, questions, and responses yeah. from men in general. Men right. that have read my book have very different questions than women who read my book. I think women, we're used to talking about issues of domestic violence and abuse and perpetrators and yeah. aggressive behavior with like dating. Like we're all used to that, but y'all maybe aren't. And so I'm not used to that. It's It's been an interesting uh, mix to hear men's perspective. You live in that world. So you kind of slide in and out of very easy. Like, hey, I remember like when we first filmed this. I was like, hey, blah, blah, how's your family? How's your kids? You're like, sex trafficking, rape. Blah. And it just, I was like, I didn't even know how to talk to you about it. And I talk to people about this stuff. You are very comfortable talking about this stuff. For those of you who don't know, I have Rebecca Bender on. She is the president, CEO, all the things of all the Rebecca Bender initiative things. She's a author. She is a mom. She is a speaker. She is a trainer and equipper of all the people on how to spot sex trafficking. She is a former a victim, former victim. I don't even know how to say that. I don't even know survivor. what I'm saying. Survivor. Uh, not a victim. You're a survivor. But and we would call them victims amazing. when you're being trafficked. But it's more great. than that, she's a really, really, really good friend, uh, her and her family. And uh, I've known Rebecca now for four years. Probably. Give or take. And uh, time every so often I might uh, jump in on a board call too. Yes. In your organization. <laughs> You give not great so feedback. much lately, though, because <laughs> I've been busy. Hey, that's why it's great to learn from you and Iris Global, because we're a very small like mom and pop. You are not small nonprofit that's just trying to figure out how to do this thing and live life for Jesus. And it's yeah. not easy. And I always make probably the inappropriate joke. It's like my trafficker didn't teach me how to run a nonprofit. Oh so God. when you kind of get thrown in to like want to go after your calling and take your lived experience and do something with it. If people don't come around to help mentor you, you're literally just out there floundering. So 
Yeah. It's awesome when you can jump on the call. Well, I've watched you no just pressure. soar and make amazing decisions. There's a lot going on in your life. I want to talk about it because God's just done a ton. Uh, we I, we might try to tiptoe around some of the past because I know people have questions and all the things you just said you were trafficked. I'm sure people want to know about that. We're going to yeah. get there. Um, but Read uh, the book. Re, we're we're going to do that too. <laughs> there we go. We'll just get right into it. In Pursuit of Love. You're actually in town uh, for the launch or yeah. one of the launches, yeah. launch parties here. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is going to bless you and wreck you. And I'm going to, we will talk about that. Um, but before we get into it, I was, as I, as I was waiting for you, because you're super duper late. I want to say, no, I'm just kidding. You were, you were right on time. <laughs> uh, I was looking at your Instagram and I saw a picture of you and Selena Gomez. Yeah. Was that like, what? Why are you hanging out with Selena? Well, Selena, it's not like I'm hanging out with her. We're not like so super like. great friends. I don't call her at home or anything, but um, she, Selena Gomez has been an advocate for human trafficking. She's been a, a brand ambassador for A21 for a while. So she's been a speaker at several galas that I had been a part of. Um, there's several people that are really using a lot of their influence to really help people sound the alarm about this issue. Yeah. Angela Johnson has been a great, who's, who's Angela, Angela Johnson, Johnson really well-known comedian. Okay. Um, she makes the funny joke that her husband was a Christian rapper and she's a Christian and a comedian, but she's not a Christian comedian. <laughs> she says, I love Jesus, but I'll find a girl. <laughs> yes, I, yes I, okay, I know, who, okay. I know who that is. So she's um, been a great friend and ambassador of trafficking. Ashton Kutcher has probably been our biggest support. Yeah. Who on, endorsed, the endorsed book. this book? Yes, thank you, AK. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Ashley, AK, we talked about that. AK for the win. I I encouraged you to reach out. You're to the him. one Do you that told me. You yeah, didn't want that? No, I was I, like, bro, Ashton is not going to endorse my book. He did. Rebecca is a true leader in the fight against trafficking. She's an inspiration who is changing the world with action. Yeah, when we were talking, we were like, who do I get to to do the things? And and I, I think you asked me, and I was, I was like, like, no, like, you need to ask Ashton, Ashton Kutcher because you are with him and you do things. I'm like, well, who should endorse my book? Like my mom and my grandma. Yeah, I think you asked me. I was like, no, God, no. Which I'm you like, did anyway. You're in yeah, there. I, I know, but it's not that good. But anyway, uh, I, I say ask Ashton is probably a, a better endorsement. How, uh, how, uh, he, like people see him, he speaks in the Senate or, mm -hmm. you know, he, he speaks on this stuff. How did you get connected with him? Um, Ashton... Kutcher is the co-founder of Thorn. It's an yeah. anti-trafficking organization that uses technology to help um, scan online ads for uh, victims of human trafficking, and they archive them in this like a Rolodex kind of. So law enforcement only are allowed to have memberships to this technology that Thorn has created called Spotlight. If you have a Spotlight account, you log in. You can type any indicator, phone number, height, weight, tattoo, and it pops up any ad of that of a hit all across the country. And this has been phenomenal for law enforcement because usually those type of websites, they delete all files after six months. Okay. If you subpoena them for a court hearing, it could be like, you know, oh, we just never got the subpoena and now that whole account's deleted. And so Thorne has been paramount nationally because they're archiving in real time. They've just created technology that's constantly just saving saving ads. Really? So law enforcement can find when them. you say for ads, what are you talking about? When like ad, ads on ads on different websites where okay. sex is for sale. Okay. And so it's not the black market. It's just the regular web. And it's really hard for people to identify whether it's an ad for someone who's being trafficked or if it's an ad for someone who's there 
as what would be considered a pro-sex worker. And there really is no way to tell the difference And so, from an ad. And so um, that's hard because you don't know if a trafficker is posting that to sell someone or if someone's doing it by quote-unquote choice, mm -hmm. which we could still debate. But um, yeah, so Thorn has been a great fight because they've helped law enforcement save ads and it's been really useful during trial and investigation. And so anyway, Ash and I've been booked to speak at several different conferences here or there. And we were doing an event in Atlanta at the Mercedes Center um, for International Rotary, about 45,000 people. And Whoa. I was like, yeah, no Whoa. pressure. 45,000. <laughs> yeah. And so I had to, uh, I delivered a speech that <laughs> was on teleprompters. Really? Yeah, it was my first time on teleprompters. They, and they forced you to, you couldn't go... Just no, you have up. to pre-submit it in advance because it has to be translated okay. to so many languages. Makes International sense. rotaries, you mm -hmm. know, unbelievably large. So they have to pre-translate. And so you have to stick with the script, so to speak. Um, and I can remember it was my first time doing teleprompters. And I got a great word of advice from a friend of mine right before we're in the back in the green room. And he said, the teleprompter's job is to follow you not vice versa. Right. Don't feel the pressure right. to like follow the lines. You pause I've when you want to pause. You speed up when you want to speed up. It's yeah. their job to follow you. Wow. And that was so much weight suddenly of like, oh, okay, I can do this. And so I threw a couple lines in there to make it feel a little bit more authentic. Yeah. And it's almost like you could see the teleprompter guy <laughs> or girl it was like, what is she doing? What is she doing? What is she? Oh, thank right. goodness yeah, we're yeah. back on track. What is she doing? What is she doing? <laughs> 45, is that your biggest uh, group that you Yeah, for to? sure. For sure. I was super nervous. Wow. So you did that with Ashton. So you connect in, with a lot of people around the world on really doing whatever you can to stop as much human trafficking as humanly possible. Yeah. It, it seems like, I, so I, I don't, you know, we've talked, we've talked a lot about all this stuff before, but I, in the last few months I've been dealing with, you know, just a lot of this is coming. It seems like it's coming up everywhere, like more and more and more. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a never ending, like highway that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The more you actually look into it, it, it how do you not get overwhelmed? Because it's just nonstop. And right. I think with what's happening, at least in the world of pornography, uh, it's just globalized and it's nonstop. Mm -hmm. Like it, it seems to be getting worse. It's so interesting. I, f I think everybody can feel really overwhelmed when you look at the whole issue of hypersexuality and sex for sale and pornography and then all the ways to fight it, right? It's like, well, do you do demand reduction or, or do you do prevention or right. outreach or awareness or restoration? I mean, there's so many things. And the only, the thing that I have learned that helps people is when we think about the issue of smoking 30 years ago. Right. When you think of smoking in the 70s, <laughs> right, your flight attendant yeah. was walking around with a cigarette, pushing yeah. a cart. No one thought anything of it. Your doctor would like light up right in the room with your mom on oxygen. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. No one batted an eye. And it took 30 years of, of public health, like really sounding the alarm about the public health concern for us all to think very differently of smoking today. Smoking is a community health risk. It's very dangerous for your health. It really right. impacts your body. It's secondhand smoke, all the things. Right. Um, and so that's, that's the perspective we have to keep with changing the issue of pornography in our culture, with changing culture as it pertains. Yeah. But how do you do like, honestly, that I, I get the analogy and I think mm -hmm. it's beautiful, but this is, this has been an issue from the birth of humanity. Yeah. Uh, people have been for sale for yeah. sex. It's, it's the it's, oldest it's, oppression. It, for I sure. don't, you know, much more about all the things, but in my limited opinion, 
all I see, all I see is it growing. And I feel like at least with pornography, the way that it was like years ago, it was pornography was really very difficult to, to get. Now it's thrust in front of your face everywhere you go. That has to change something in the fabric of society where now they're like, Hey, this is the way it is. It's all good. It, 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 it seems like it's, it's cheapening it. Even, even 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it was like, it was like, Oh, the perverts that, that go to the magazine section or whatever. And now it's like, it's all good. It's great. It's healthy. We do it in our relationships. Like this husbands and wives are yeah. watching this stuff together. And I think if anything, it's shifted the other way. Like I see it getting worse. Mm -hmm. I think the issue of hypersexuality is definitely on the rise. Pornography is on the rise. It is overwhelming sometimes to feel like, how do we do this? Mm -hmm. And the only thing that I continue to encourage people is this is a great time to teach us more self-control, to teach our kids self-control, right? right? We also, you know, technology is changing in general. Yeah. You know, we didn't used to have tablets and Netflix and streaming and Google and, you know, you can get information in the split second now. We didn't have that when you and I were younger. Right. We didn't have that. No. And that hasn't gone away and that's not changing. But we do have to adapt and we have to create healthy boundaries and we have to figure out what's the line for us and when's good screen time for my kids. And so you have to keep that in mind as we move into really hypersexual culture that we live in. Mm -hmm. How do I teach my kids to look away when something comes on the TV? How yeah. do I change the channel? How do I let them know, hey, we're walking into this? Yeah. Mall, shopping mall and there's going to be some crazy naked girls in the windows, but I need you to know your identity is not with how you look. And it's really about having open conversations with your kids. Okay. So you're a mom. Mm -hmm. How many, you have three, four, four. gosh, four daughters. I actually, I don't think I met your oldest. Yeah. She's, I think she's always been off running. She's at college. Like that. Yeah. So, but I do know your, your younger three. How do you, as a mom who's been through what you've been through, what does that conversation look like? I know there's a ton of moms who are like, uh, we don't even like to talk to our kids about sex. Right. You know, like how do you like practically what does that look like? I think especially for human trafficking, what's really important for people to understand is human trafficking is not just a girl's issue. This isn't like, oh, how do I keep my daughter safe from mm -hmm. being exploited? Although that is a part of the issue. I think the bigger issue is how do we keep how do we raise our young men in such a hypersexual culture that we're not creating this huge increase of demand? Right. How are we stopping that from happening? Because if there's no one to buy then there'd be no reason to sell. It's right, a kind of a marketing yeah. equation, for lack of better words. And this pornographic culture is raising up a demand like never before. Right. And so it's really, it really is a boy's issue. This really is how do we shift the way our young men are seeing pornography and sex for sale? Really? How are we teaching our young men to become defenders and protectors and not exploit and objectify and yeah, but catcall and yeah, how do you do that in a nation where they're where I think where people are more like, hey, there's equality and and, you know, everybody's the same and women are looking at it just as much as men are. Well, they're not looking at it just as much as men are. OK, because <laughs> I've heard the stats and I please like that's why I submit all my uh, uneducatedness to you. But I, the <laughs> stuff that I hear is like, hey, and actually even the stuff that I see I, probably in the communities that I minister to around the churches when I talk to people. It seems to be a semi-even struggle these days. Yeah, porn, I think, definitely is on the rise for women. I mean, we are seeing women and young women see porn more than ever before, especially because mm. it's so easy for young people to get access to it. Smartphones, you can put all the filters on your phones and tablets all you want, but that doesn't mean yeah. the person next door at the, lo the locker next door doesn't have those same filters. Right. And so I think it really is about making sure that we're just teaching our kids self-control and an identity. 
<laughs> so what does that look You're like? You're going your into a whole bunch of like I'm not an anti. I'm not the anti poor. That's not my, what I do. You live in this world. You live. I live much in helping in people change their lives. <laughs> that's what I do. I, well, okay. We're in the same industry then. Well, not yeah. I mean, <laughs> all I want to do is see people get meet Jesus and fall in love with Him. Yeah. and let you know He is the self control. He becomes the Holy Spirit becomes that. So right. We're we're on the same page with those things. I, I, I just support find groups it that fight porn. I support them, but I'm not a nonprofit that fights porn. That's right. not my focus. Right. But so the, I support those that do, and they, they have their own strategies. And they go hand in hand, though. Right? For sure. Like the trafficking and and all it goes hand in hand. Yeah. I, but what do I know? I'm just a Neanderthal. Uh, <laughs> it's good to have you here. I'm. I, I. How how is your family? Like how are you guys doing? There's a lot going on in your life right now. Can you, Last time you were here, we couldn't really talk about it too much. Is still can't. There's big things coming. <laughs> there's big things coming the way. They're down the pipeline. Yeah. But we can't talk about that, I guess. The book's been optioned to be yeah. turned into a television series by a major network, but that's mm-hmm. all I'm able to say okay. until a press release is issued. Okay. So how do you feel about that? That's like a big deal. This is, and it's not when she said major network. It's it's not. Uh, it is it is a, it's a major network, and that can shift your life. How has it been processing that? Like It this- doesn't totally feel like it's real yet. Really? I mean, because projects take so long. Mm-hmm. It's, it's I've been working on it for four years. Yeah. So it's kind of like, all right, call me when it's ready. But it could be another two years. So it's just life as usual. Okay. So you, it hasn't really shifted that much right now? You're just continuing on? Yeah, because who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. When you have this really ambiguous end date, mm-hmm. it's hard to plan. So you just... Right, business as usual until you get a real actual. So business date. as usual, what does that look like for you? Oh, so much, right? <laughs> Go so for it. We run a nonprofit that helps um, fight human trafficking. We train first responders on how to identify and respond to victims of domestic exploitation. So we're training law enforcement. We're training medical professionals. We're working cases. So um, I, I just got a call recently for a big case in. Um, an undisclosed location of a district attorney that needs an expert to review all the evidence, write a report, take the stand, testify at trial. So that's really where a lot of my time and energy sometimes goes. So you do that. You mm-hmm. go in and there's a there's a case going on and mm-hmm. they just come to you as an expert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it how, do- how much of that do you do a year? I didn't actually, uh, I didn't know this. About yeah, you. several a year. Really? Yeah. Have you ever done any like high profile cases? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Can you, you, you're not allowed to mention anything? We talked, we did, I worked with FBI on the um, Long Island serial killer case. Shut up. Yeah. You did? Very briefly. What, it just, what, it's still an in. open investigation. When when was this? Oh, years ago. What happened? Like, tell me, what did, what did you get brought in for? So um, a private investigator actually reached out and sent me a whole bunch of information. And I read through it and felt like, I was seeing something that maybe wasn't being seen. And so I train FBI a lot. So I reached out to my FBI contact and said, hey, um, I was sent this information by a private investigator. This is some of the things that I'm seeing from a human trafficking perspective. Because mm-hmm. the Long, Long Island serial killer was targeting women involved in prostitution. Yeah. But when you look at the evidence, all of those victims were actually trafficked victims. And tra- one trafficker actually drove his victim to a home that the lady never came out of. And he, the trafficker called the police. And it was like, my like my girlfriend isn't hasn't come out of the house. And he was a real witness in this, which is really unheard of for a trafficker to go to law enforcement. You know, like that's right. serious when someone that's that insidious 
would call law enforcement with concern. And so I wanted to kind of follow that trail because I know the human trafficking world and that is a big no-no for traffickers to call 911, you know? And so I thought we need to, we need to follow this because that's not normal. And I was able to identify the escort service that the, that the victims um, who had been murdered were booked from. Really? Mm-hmm. And so I gave, called the F, called my contact. He put me in touch with, there's one FBI agent who had been assigned to the Long Island serial killer case themselves. And so him and I had several conversations. I sent him the information I had and, and that's kind of it. I mean, unfortunately with law enforcement and open cases, sometimes you don't get follow up. You don't get feedback. Right. You're just have to trust that. They're taking the information and running with it. And Come on. It's kind of hard because you don't get to see the fruit. Right. But I think that's a lot of all of us. We all right. plant seeds. Yeah. You know, you're doing work with someone and right. they may backslide. Right. And next thing you know, five years later, they're saved and they're doing great. And you're like, right. awesome. And they're like, hey, that one thing you said. And that's all you can do is continue to plant seeds and trust that you're just the seed planter. You're not always the harvester. And, yeah. and sometimes you get to harvest and that's what keeps it going for yourself and your own like, you know, this is worth it. But it's not always going to be the case with every person that you help. Wow. So when you work with FBI, what, what is what are you training? Like, give us a crash course in what to look for for somebody that's being trafficked. Because well, you go in like Super Bowls, like you, like before Super Bowl, you you actually do this. Like, what do you give? Give me your like top five points in a, in a nutshell. Sure. Like, what do you like? What are your training? <laughs> no pressure. How, give what me do a four day training and five. You points. can do it, girl. Um, I think the <laughs> the true the reality is. You know, I was trafficked for nearly six years. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I was traded and sold between three different traffickers. And so I learned a lot of tactics that multiple traffickers employ. Um, I used to be really ashamed of that part of my story um, because people in the in that life are kind of looked down on. If you have more than one trafficker, then they call you names. You're really ostracized a little bit. And yeah. so for a long time, I didn't want to talk about it publicly. Yeah. And then I started just feeling like, just God just continued to remind me that he, I had three more types of, uh, there was three more ways that I could identify and relate with people if I was just really vulnerable with the fact of all that I had been through. And so knowing how these three very different traffickers operated gave me a lot more insight than I realized I had. And and so after that, kind of watching how they work, watching how they move victims, how they recruit, how they groom, how they keep victims in compliance, different coercive tactics that are employed that aren't always physical violence, mm-hmm. um, helped me to just realize that maybe I could, if cops knew this, would they investigate differently? Would they treat victims differently? And then in 2006, uh, the feds raided our home. My trafficker was indicted on over $4 million of tax evasion. And so that gave me this whole other perspective of how like a federal a federal case is investigated. And I can remember when the feds came to one of the houses in Dallas and raided the home in the, really early in the morning. And they had an arrest warrant for one of the victims that wasn't there. Yeah. And so we were in Vegas. And we knew at that point that it could be any minute that they would show up. And we were around, you know, just a little bit away from her. And about, I don't know, six, maybe nine months later, uh, U.S. Marshals surrounded her apartment. And I remember getting that phone call. And that's actually the opening of my book, getting the phone call like five or six in the morning of her on her just saying they're here and me grabbing the kids and hopping the fence and sitting in my neighbor's backyard. And I can just remember like holding my daughter and this other little boy and crouching down in the backyard of some lady's house, you know, I had to be 26 at the time, maybe. 
And I can just remember thinking like, I'm afraid the neighbor's going to see me. Yeah. And now in hindsight, now that I'm 38 and I'm healed, first, well, it's probably debatable <laughs> if you ask my husband. But um, I can remember thinking though, like, the, the scariest moment for me was what the neighbor was going to think. Not mm -hmm. that there's a federal right. raid that's taking right. place, not child welfare, child custody services possibly for, for the kids, like, that I'm worried about the, what the neighbor. Yeah, fear of man. Yeah. Yeah. And so that oh, was yeah. really scary. So I just walked around the neighborhood. Um, I was told not to come back until I got a call that it was safe. By the, that's what my trafficker said to do. And so that's what I did. And then I came back, packed up everything, and we lived in a hotel for wow. the summer. Wow. Afraid the feds would come again. And so you detail your whole story in this book, you, you beginning, middle and end. And I do want to encourage everybody watching to reach out and grab this. I, we, when we talked before, we spent this whole time going through your story mm -hmm. and it's a lot, like it's a lot. I, I told these guys afterwards, I was like, I don't know how to like, I don't know what to do with my hands <laughs> or my face when you're telling your story. It is a story of redemption. It's yeah. a story of finding God in the middle of it. Um, yeah, you got teary-eyed a lot through like, my story. I, yeah, and, I, and I told myself I wasn't going to go there today um, <laughs> unless we go there, but then I'm fine with that. Well, um, a lot of the book, the funny part is, and you well know this, right? When you write a book, you're contracted for a certain number right. of word count. Right. And I was contracted for about, I don't know, 55 or 60,000 words. And I turned in 93. <laughs> and they were like, oh, so we have to cut half your story. Yeah. And so even still, it was like, this still isn't everything. Right. but. I thought when I got the book deal, finally, I'm going to get to tell the whole story. Because usually, right. you know, you got 20 minutes on a stage right, or right. 45 minutes, yep. and you're not getting it all in. You're picking and choosing specific stories to tell that will help that demographic walk away with some call to action. And um, so I felt like this was going to finally be my chance, and it and it still isn't. So yeah. what do you do, right? Just keep going. Yeah. Keep, keep having the conversations. Uh, every time that I've chatted with you, we met at a Darren Wilson filming. Uh, in Orlando, Orlando, Florida, and uh, and to this day, everybody there said that your your time sharing was the most powerful out of all of the all of the sharing. And that's and I and I didn't actually hear it, but that's when I that's when I first met you and started listening and hearing your story. And every time every time we connect, I get to hear more and more and more. It is a crazy story. I do. Uh, you all of you know watching this, we don't pitch product. This is not like me pitching a product. I, I don't have it in our bookstore. I Where can they get it? You can get it anywhere books are sold. Amazon, right. Barnes & Noble. The Audible is uh, me reading it myself. So I'm the no narrator. Way. So you'll get to really hear the sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> I was afraid if someone else read it, like, no, she's going to read that like a real line. And that's I'm being sarcastic there. Yeah. But it's hard to write sarcasm into it writing. Is. I'm really sarcastic. I'm really... I, I So when I wrote my book, I... Like half of it, I wrote myself the other half. I used, I used a ghostwriter. And she said the hardest thing was capturing like my my cadence, my sarcasm. My, yeah. Yeah. It's very difficult. But I want to encourage you, go out and grab this book. You can get the full story. Give it to, yeah, just get it, get it in the hands of anybody. I think that this is a story of redemption. Uh, it's a beautiful story of redemption. And 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 even like the pitfalls along the road, mm -hmm. it, it's going to wreck you. It's going to break you. I I... I asked you a question and I do want you to answer it. And okay. we, I think we got caught in the weeds on what are some of the things that people can look for in their community uh, about like spotting trafficking? Like what are some of the things that you mm -hmm. go in and teach 
And I know, I know it's long, but like, give me some. Well, what I would teach law enforcement is very different than what I would teach community people to look for. So okay, I want the law enforcement. Okay. Stuff. <laughs> well, like, we don't want to give away investigation okay, tactics on stuff. YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want I, the good stuff. I said all of the weeds part to just say that from all of that experience, yeah. I usually just teach law enforcement what traffickers are doing behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And I think from there, it's given them so much more perspective. I, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was happening. I didn't know that was happening. Um, how to follow the money. How did you, how did we launder $4 million, right? How yeah. did we do that? And yeah. so obviously that's what they could prove. So usually that means there's a lot more <laughs> that they couldn't prove, right? Yeah. And so just teaching law enforcement various investigative tactics and what to look for and where to go. Um, but it's always a little scary because you're fighting evil, right? And like, you know, oftentimes there's gang ties and you're sitting on the stand at trial and there's gang members right in front of you and yeah. you're testifying. You don't know them personally, but you're just, you know, sh sharing with the jury um, tactics that are employed by traffickers in general. And if this case happens to match those, then that's not my fault. That's, right. I'm just sharing what traffickers do in general. Right. And that's been, it's been intimidating sometimes yeah. to you feel. Have you ever been threatened? Like no. Hey, since you've been coming out and doing this, you've never experienced any threat from the groups that are, you know, in the process of selling people or trafficking people. Have you ever had anybody come after you? Only people that have threatened me have been pro-sex workers. I get a lot of really? threats from pro-sex works workers. What do they say? You're ruining our money. Not everyone hears traffic. This is our body, mm -hmm. our choice. What do you um, think about that? Because there is a group of people that is. I've had them take pictures of my kids and repost what? it on their own social media and say, go get them. Stop. Mm -hmm. What'd you do? Cried. You're you, scared. You don't like call the cops or? Nothing you can do. I mean, it'll, it's like, it'll be gone in 24 hours. It's on an Insta story. Like, what do you do? What do you, what, what do you say to the women that are like, hey, this is my body. This is good. Like, I love this. Nobody's forcing me into this. That, that are the vocal ones. I know that there's this probably the small community that, that believes that. I think the bigger issue is how did you get involved in sex work in general? If there's a lack of options and a lack of choice and a lack of opportunity, a lack of seats at the table, then our real fight together needs to be how do we create opportunities for marginalized people? How do we create options for people that don't have opportunity um, to get an education, to get a great job? We have the same fight in that, right? Yeah. I don't want someone to feel like they're in danger every single day. And it's like playing a game of Russian roulette when you knock on a hotel room door, you don't know what's gonna be behind that. And some people don't make it out. Right. And and we, pro-sex work and anti-trafficking survivors and advocates, we all agree that there's some inherent danger in this line of work. And if we can have opportunities of similar income and flexible schedule, would you still choose it? And if the answer is no, that you wouldn't still choose it, you'd choose the safer option if it still gave you flexible schedule and still gave you the same same income, then for me, that's the answer. Like, then you wouldn't choose it. If right. they weren't paying, would you still do it? Right. And, and is that normally the answer, I mean, mon the, the fact that money's involved in is inherently coercive all in itself. Yeah. Cause if I didn't have to pay you to do it, then that, that in itself is showing that there's something that's being held over someone's head. Um, to comply, to conform. And I mean, I'm sure people will say, here's the thing. There's five, legally, there's five things of, there's five lanes of, of prostitution in America. And for the longest time, prostitution has just been criminalized, right? And so there's human trafficking, buying, selling, pimping, pandering, procuring, and brothel owning. Just say, say that one more time. Buying, human, selling. Human trafficking. Yes. Buying. Yeah. Selling. 
pimping, pandering, procuring. It's one lane, one pillar. And then brothel owning. Those are the five categories in our legal system right now in regards to the crime of prostitution. Okay. Okay. So what a lot of pro-sex work communities- I feel so uncomfortable right and now. <laughs> Let's do this. And other countries have done is they've pushed to legalize prostitution. We see right. that in red light districts, mm -hmm. Amsterdam, all yep. the things, right? And so what that's done is it's kept human trafficking illegal, but it's fully decriminalized brothel owning, pimping, pandering, procuring, selling, buying. And what do you mean by selling, buying? Just um, selling being like the the woman's being arrested okay. for selling prostitution, okay. and the John, the buyer, yep. is being sometimes slapped on the wrist for mm -hmm. buying sex, even if it's a minor, right? And so this whole category of buyers, Johns, is very different than selling, which isn't necessarily always considered the trafficker, since the victim is continually arrested for prostitution. Does that make sense? Yeah, I feel totally. like I'm kind of doing this like no, I get it. Go, go for it. I, I'm equality interested. model 101. I, I love Legal it. class. Yeah, okay, go there. So the thing, though, that people don't realize is that there doesn't have to be just one or the other. There's this other third option that a lot of people are putting on the ballot in the U.S., which is the equality model. It's partial decrim. It's where human trafficking remains illegal. Selling can be decriminalized. So victims stop getting arrested for prostitution, mm -hmm. but buying, pimping, pandering, procuring, and brothel owning remain criminalized. And that would allow some protections and some teeth for law enforcement to continue investigations for those that are really exploiting another human being, whether they're minors or adults, okay. and would stop the arrest of those that are involved in prostitution um, in general, whether they're there by choice or force, it would stop the arrest. And, and we are all on the same page in agreement with that. And mm -hmm. so we're pushing for this third option of equality model because it would allow um, all of us to be on the same page with at least that without launching right. these three other social justice experiments on our nation at one time. I mean, could you imagine if yeah. like your neighbor is a brothel and you don't have any say over it? And so your kids are doing sidewalk chalk and riding their bikes and buyers are coming in and out. And, you know, prostitution is not an isolated crime. So you're going to get violence. You're going to get domestic violence, robbery, drugs, organized crime. It's all going to be your neighbor. Wow. If it's all decriminalized. Right. And that can be scary for communities, community mm -hmm. health, community concerns. And then that's when they say, well, then just create zones. Like, oh, so create red light districts and right. communities. We see what happens with that. We see the poverty. We see the health risk, STDs. Um, so it's it becomes very... It's very nuanced. It's very complex. Yeah, it's a lot. I'm in favor of equality model, also known as partial decrim. Um, nine other countries have passed equality model. It's where- Has it worked in the other countries? Yeah, it's Israel, uh, France. Can't remember the other ones off the top of my head. I'd have right. to Google it. But um, there are a lot of countries that where they've taken the stance that prostitution is gender violence. It's violence against women, since that's predominantly right. those who identify as female are targeted. And it it- it's creating a culture where they see prostitution inherently as violence against women. Wow. And so it's shifted the way nations see the issue. And, and that trickles down it, yeah. how the way you see pornography, how the way it's right. the way you see sex for sale. Hopefully it can make a difference. I have a it's question. a big fight. It, it's crazy. I, I don't even know where to begin. I did a little bit of research and I feel like I have no idea about how to even talk to you about this stuff. So I do have a question. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you do work with, uh, in like the pedophile world? Because no. that has to be a part of human trafficking. It is. But you don't do any work in it. My, so here's the thing. It, with human trafficking, there's so much you could do. Right. I mean, but you we all can't do it all, right? Like I can't do everything. I'm a small mom and pop shop. I'm, I'm what's considered a survivor leader. 
um, survivor leaders, we don't have, we're, we're stepping into this field with nothing. Mm -hmm. We're not stepping in with degrees. We're stepping in literally with nothing. And so you are building from the ground up. And so you just don't have the social capital. You don't right. have investors coming in. You don't, right. You don't have that as survivor leaders. And yeah. so we, you can't do it all. You'll be spread too thin. You'll burn out. And so it's, it's been hard to stay mission focused, laser yeah. focused, to just really stay in my lane. And one of the things that I've helped people do in my fight is to help people find their lane. So we have a really great tool that's called Finding Your Lane. It's a quiz that people can take. It's funny. I tried to make it fun and lighthearted because humor makes hard topics palatable. Yeah. And then it just explains these nine different ways that you could fight human trafficking. And it points people to the anti-trafficking organizations that that lane is their focus. So right. it's not just me doing everything. I'm like, get involved with them, get involved with them. You want to fight porn? You want to fight prevention and demand reduction? There they are. Those are the guys doing it. Go, go be with them. Go wow. do, go support them because everybody needs help, but we all can't do it all. Find the lane right. that really makes your heart come alive and then get involved and do something. And so your lane is in the survivor. What say it again? You're a survivor at leader. Leader. Yeah. And that, and so you're basically just working in getting women out of prostitution, rehabilitation. I literally, you look at me, you're like, you are dumb as a bag of hammers, Will. Have you sat at a board meeting? Do you know I what have, we do? No, I know what you do, but it's like, but every we time we We do not we help talk, survivors get out. You, you used to. We help train law enforcement how to get them out. No, we've had major conversations. Okay, like, I, have, I took people in. I took this one. I, in. I'm like, yeah, I get the call when do. it's in my own town. Okay, okay, so you do do that. Yeah, I do pay attention just, to board meetings. <laughs> I do. I just not. I don't try to make that my. That's not my focus. Right. So I don't want like the world calling me to help them with an escape because just that's call not Rebecca, my focus. She'll help you with an escape. No. Yeah. Uh, if no. you're in my city. <laughs> right. Right. Like, how can you be in your tiny little town and you're the only one that fights trafficking and you get a phone call? Right. You have to help. Yes. But that's not the focus of what our nonprofit does. Our focus is to teach at conferences of all different sorts, mm -hmm. helping train law enforcement, first responders and other people that want to have a message of hope and resiliency that you can't overcome anything, that parents can have hope that if their kid's lost, like it's still, so I preach a lot. Yeah. I write a lot of curriculum. Rebecca is an amazing, not just speaker. Like we, we haven't really gotten a lot into your faith, but all of this, everything that she is saying is done on the backdrop of a radical faith with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I love that because we've had that conversation where like, where's the crossover, you know, like, I, cause you are an amazing preacher. I've watched you minister uh, here locally, mm -hmm. uh, to, and move in, move in your gifting, God's gifting <laughs> on your life really powerfully. Thank you. So you're not like, you're not just a, this is all done in the backdrop of, of yeah. loving the Lord and going after his spirit. And, uh, I mean, we're, we're Iris, we're a missions movement and that I, I love watching you navigate. How do I do this thing that the Lord is calling me into, which is very secular isn't the right word, but it's like, I'm in the world, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm dealing I'm not dealing within the church. I work within the church for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, and how do I navigate that? I think you navigate that beautifully going in and mm. out of those two. It's so hard. And and you get a lot of pushback on both sides, right? Or it's mm -hmm. like if, you know, if people know that I, my master's is in biblical studies and Christian thought. And so, and I write Bible studies. And so then sometimes cops are like, whoa, who's coming <laughs> in to train us? Right. You're not going to 
push your faith on anyone here, right? And I'm like, nope, it's just a show me the money training today, guys. Don't worry about it. Um, but it's if people ask in those secular trainings and you're able to say, like, this is what helped me, it's not to say that's going to help everyone. So you just have to be really thoughtful to not make people feel like you're forcing your faith on everyone. And that's not what Jesus would do anyway. Yeah. Jesus doesn't force himself on anybody. And so why would we come in and do that to others? And quite frankly, I think it repels people. So I find that if you just love people and you let the Holy Spirit do, do its thing, then you don't have to, right? I'm always yeah. like, we're not crowned Holy Spirit today. Like, oh, right. I'm crowned, convict, convict, and save. <laughs> like, it's actually not my job. I'm just supposed to love people and and let the Holy Spirit do 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 His thing. Well, anytime I've watched you minister, you know, in in that in your preaching gifting, the Holy Spirit moves so beautifully, so powerfully. Uh, it's you know, even when we were in Darren's thing, you're like you're in a room with some of the biggest movers and shakers and in, in dude it in, was crazy in the church you know in our I, at least in our charismatic <laughs> like kind of in the charismatic movement yeah and like they I all no walked clue. out they're like hey i'm the worst i'm not doing anything with my life and rebecca just cruises through <laughs> yeah, the room right. She's, hey, you, pew, pew, pew. like yeah okay yeah so, so just you you carry it let's and, say though so i get this call like hey do you want to come be a part of this <laughs> series i'm like sure that's cool yeah. i show up and on the door is like the agenda and it's mm -hmm. like the biggest names. And I was like, oh no. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> Don't fangirl out. Don't fangirl like out. People that speak to millions. I was like, hey, 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 yeah. trying to be cool. <laughs> and then I was like inside, like trying not to freak out. But we had so much fun. We did have I'll a ton of fun. I'll give people a little bit of a picture. So we're talking about, I think it was Conversations with God. No, what was it? Yeah, Adventures with Adventures God, season with God. two. Look at, how do you remember this stuff? I just see that AWGS2 yeah, on okay. my agenda. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a visual memory. I guess so. Uh, but we, basically, Darren rented two, like, massive houses mm -hmm. in Orlando. I think he had friends, actually, that gave them to him. But filmed, set up in the kitchen uh, slash dining room, this place where we would just sit around and have these conversations about really hard and challenging topics. Mm -hmm. And I loved it because you put all that, you put so many people from so many different backgrounds. There was a dude, I think he was from Iran or living in Canada and mm -hmm. ministers mm -hmm. and leaders in the movement, literally preachers of to millions of people and, and the missionaries. And, uh, and we saw we had so much fun. We led people to the Lord. We, you know, it was it was just such a great time. But that's where I met you for the first time. Yeah. And where I was like, oh my God, God is on this one. I just want to do whatever I can to stay connected. And we've stayed connected ever since. I I I'm so grateful for it. What you've what you've brought into my life has oh. been amazing. You're you're such like just watching you be a mom, being a leader, and doing navigating all those things like this incredible difficulty that we didn't even really get into, but you do it so well, you do it with so much poise and you do it, and I watch you do it with such humility and maintaining your love for the Lord and love for your family the whole time. Mm. I, every time that we've talked, um, you know, your heart is not for how do I advance my my movement more or what, what I'm doing in my life. You're just, all you wanna do is just be a better mom, better wife and, and serve the Lord with everything that you have not missing yeah. out on him. I love it. I just want all people to go after the call of God on their lives. That's yeah. that's my mission. And it's been hard to navigate for myself of like I escaped this crazy <laughs> this crazy life. Um really intense things, right? Like mm -hmm. I've been things that you don't generally live from. Right. And so it's made me so incredibly grateful. And 
I can remember the moment God called me to talk about it. I was at my kitchen table and I was drinking a cup of coffee and doing my morning devotionals and the sun started to come up and I felt sick. I felt like time to go in was the feeling I had from just years of you come in at sunup, right? right? And that's your that's your shift, sundown to sunup, and you bring in as much money as you can or you're beaten, and that's your life for so many years. And so sun started to come up and I felt sick. And I can remember the Lord saying, how can you sit here and do nothing? Mm. How can you sit here in your nice, comfy surroundings with your warm cup of coffee when you know what it's like to be more afraid to go home than you are to get in a car with a stranger? And that really hit me like home, the place that should be the safest, the place you should feel the most secure was the scariest place of all for me. And I thought, you're right. How can I? How can I do nothing? And so I started just sharing my testimony. I didn't really have a plan. Just like, I just want to sound the alarm that trafficking happens in America. And I didn't really know what to do with that. And God blew a lot of favor and stumbled trying to figure out how to make it into a business along the way just because... I wanted to full time talk about the issue, but he also, I've been doing this almost 12 years now and, and so grateful. And you also get to this place where you're like, but I'm also more than my story. I'm I'm more than one bad thing that happened to me 20 years ago. And I have fresh manna today. I have manna to help that teaches women (laughs) how to find balance amidst living for Jesus. I have more insight from the Lord on how you do. Um, navigate your story publicly, how you yeah. know that your story matters, right? Your story matters to God. It matters to your legacy, to your children, to the next generation, to your community. Stories change culture. Yes. Like stories matter. Yep. And whether you can or can't relate with being trafficked, I think everyone has a story to tell. And that's really where my heart's been shifting a lot lately is like just helping everybody f- know that your story really matters. Like, yes, you run Iris Global and your mission center, and that's great, but you have a story of when you came to Christ as yeah. a teenager and you and your wife have a story and and people need to hear it because it gives them hope. That's where my heart's really at. And so figuring out in this, this end of a decade and kind of moving into this next one, even with the release of the book, it's just, it's kind of like this movement helped me heal and it's it did what it was supposed to do. And now I'm ready for what God has next in my life. And I don't know that I know what that is yet. Yeah, you do, girl. But I'm in. You totally know. I'm ready. Like, let's do it. You just said it beautifully. You want to tell your story. Your story, I mean, it's told all over. You can go online. You can go on YouTube. Look up all the things. It's there. Uh, It's in this book in, in crazy detail, in pursuit of love. And then it's about to be told to the planet. And uh, God's just using you so powerfully. Listen, Rebecca. I love you, girl. I love your family. Thanks. You're so amazing. Thank you for coming down, hanging out with us today on, on our little green room. Do you <laughs> notice the difference from when we first filmed? I, The plants. They were actually, we didn't have plants oh, when we first, oh, it was just, it was just a white wall. Oh, I was like, do you know the difference? The, no. Uh, so My kids always say, when are we going back to the candy, cotton candy guy's am, house? Okay. Best <laughs> thing ever. Best thing ever. A little girl. Oh, Joel, toss my bag. A little girl today just came up to me. I was sitting in my office and uh, she came in and uh, she said, I had a, a something to give you. Yes. And so <laughs> she, I don't, how old is she? I don't know, maybe four. And she drew this for me. 
Is it cotton candy? She, I'm the, can well, she's, she was, she's from the UK. She goes, oh. so they call it candy floss, I think. So she was like, you're oh. the candy floss man. I wanted to give this oh, to you. Oh, cute. And so now I'm the dude that gives little children uh, cotton candy. Yeah. That's not. It had an impact on your children. It did. Actually, yeah. that's, that's. And so, now my husband wants his own cotton candy machine. I'm surprised he hasn't he bought one so much all, fun. already. It's pandemonium out there. We're not buying anything right now. Is it? <laughs> I get it. Well, so if it, you're going to be watching this months after it happened, but like probably as we're shooting this, can I timestamp it? No, is that bad? Good. Some, yeah. As you're watching, this is like the first day or the second day of like things starting to shut down because of the coronavirus. So people will know whenever this is launched, how it all went. Yeah. God this has be a the plan. the last time I see you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just kidding. God, no. God brings revival from the midst of chaos. Like when you look at church history over, it, it comes. <laughs> I got people going, amen. It does. Side. I mean, it's look true. at the American Revolution. People were, jobs lost yeah. globally or uh, not globally, yeah. nationally from the American Revolution. And what that did was it caused people to draw near. So yeah. you, you never know. God has a plan. Let's all not panic. Don't have to go buy out all the toilet paper. You're, we're all going to be okay. <laughs> but I Maybe it's just because well, you've been through hell, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we've been through seasons on the missions field of crazy and war-torn mm -hmm. stuff. And it's like, there's tomorrow's a new day. Yeah. Tomorrow's a new day. Like, my faith is not in the stock market. It is not in whether there's a sickness going around. When, you don't, when you don't have faith, though, that's so hard. I know. That, that perspective is really hard to hold on to. You do feel like, I actually don't know what's going to happen mm -hmm. tomorrow. And this dread. Can, I mean, I've had those days. I've had... So much of that in my, especially in my time being trafficked, where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to die tonight. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. And that can be so consuming of your thoughts that that's what real freedom, mm. real freedom is knowing God so relationally that your hundred percent trust is in him. Right. That's so like peace, weight off your shoulders. It's not in my control. God has a plan. Yeah. Man, that faith doesn't come easy though. It's a, it's you it got you got to build your There's faith. There's a lot of Christians that are scared right now. Yeah. And I and at least well, I shot a video yesterday and I we sent it out or it's being sent out I think today to our team. And I was like our core values are we suffer if necessary. One, you know, we we find joy in the middle of everything. Like it doesn't matter what's going on. Joy is not an option. And as I was praying for our team and around the globe, I was just going, this is when we shine. Like this is when our tribe shines, mm, right? That's like, good. and so, and I, I haven't heard a bad testimony from any of them. They're all like, yay, we get to do stuff. You know, we get to, <laughs> like, really, this yeah. is when the body of Christ needs to rise up and be the body of Christ, bring peace. And, 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 uh, it's so very easy to lose that. Um, I struggle, I struggle with it. You know, uh, most, most believers do. The struggle isn't the issue. It's what you actually end up doing with it. Mm -hmm. God doesn't mind a little fight or a little struggle. It's, it's what you actually end up doing it at the end of the day. But you, Rebecca, you're amazing. Thank you. Vice um, versa. If people want to follow you, do all the things that, that people do, yeah. what, what would they do? Join us on Instagram. Boom. On the gram. It? I'm Rebecca Bender. I, you are Rebecca Bender. I, at I'm Rebecca Bender. That's it. All the things are on there. The link tree bio, all the things. It's and all I'm, the things. I'm sure after this, you're so impressed. You want to follow me too on Instagram. <laughs> People Why are already you laughing. Do. If they're watching this, no, they already follow no, you. I'm bro. not good at the gram. Uh, we had that discussion in another podcast at Will Hartman. Boom. Don't you have an intern that works in social digital content? Uh, actually, they're both sitting in this room and they're not that good at it's, the job. Instagram's about to blow up then <laughs> just because kidding. they are amazing. I can are tell. They? I don't know. I'm trusting. <sighs> By the time this is launched, they won't be a part of our organization anymore. 
This is awkward. Uh, <laughs> they're not posting anything. Um, listen, uh, thank you guys for watching. Which camera would you like me to look at? That Oh, you pointed to different cameras. That guy. Hey, thank you for watching. It has been a pleasure to have my, my good friend, Rebecca Bender, here on the Iris Global Green Room podcast. Listen, you hear me say it. We don't do this stuff uh, for money. We don't do it even to sell anything. This is this is done purely because we have the most amazing people in our lives. And I want to share them with you guys. And I know as you pass it around, as you share like this testimony alone, there's there's people that actually need to hear this. They actually need to read this book. And and we love opening up a door and bringing these conversations into your life. And if you like it, and I know you really like this one because... Uh, first female on the Irish Global Green Room podcast. Boom. Boom. Yes. Wait, we're supposed to have social distancing. No, we're not. Not in, the, <laughs> not in my green room. We're not. And uh, go and like, subscribe, hit bells, d things, and uh, that will remind you to watch this, share this. I'm with honored. I'm honored everyone. to be the first lady. You are the first lady. Uh, and better get moosey on here. Oh, it's in the works. Okay. It's just, we have to do it in a good moment. You know, there's like seasons where you're like, hey, I really want to put my wife on and let her talk freely. And then there's other seasons where you don't. <laughs> or or she's like, <laughs> stop interrupting me and just give me 60 yeah. minutes See, with I, the mic. I, the reason why I don't want to do it is because of what people will say about me. They're going to be like, oh, you just interrupted everything. And that, that's that's me. So should, I don't have self-control. You should co-host. I should. She should co-host with we've, you. Okay, so we've thought about yes. that. We've thought about like doing panels. We've thought about doing my mom and dad getting my mom and dad on here. I actually asked them. They're they're Your not sister? really into it. No, not your her. niece. Gosh, maybe her. That's a good one. All the all the you people. have so many strong women that need a platform and a seat at the table. Bro. I, every lady <laughs> has a seat at the table. I know. I'm just being funny. You are making me. feel... I'm stirring the pot. Listen. Rebecca, I I surround myself <laughs> with the most powerful. I know. I'm kidding. Will surrounds himself with the most powerful women. <laughs> I and do. Soon, and soon enough, I do. there will be more at this table. The green room is the only time I'm not around powerful women. <laughs> this is my man cave. <laughs> it kind of is. But anyway. <laughs> I really do know you have incredible women yeah, in your life. We, That's we why do. we can joke so freely because of the comments are like. Yeah. If they actually knew how many women you support and how strong and you join my board and continue to push me to be all that God can be. And yeah, I mean, it's, it, that's your daughter you and your sister and your nieces. I mean, that's all just natural part. of. And the you work family. for a woman. I, yeah. Like with with great joy. Yes. Most days. No, I'm just kidding. All the days, Heidi. I love you. Okay, listen, love you guys. Thank you for watching my Global Green Room podcast. You're a woman. We got a woman on. We love you guys. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs> That's okay, right? It's totally okay. I think it's good. <laughs>